Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. I'm Vanessa Hawkins, and joining Amber and me today are Marcy Harper and Mary Beth Smith. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. We are very glad to have y'all today. I'm smiling, looking at y'all smiling. And something that sticks out to me about the two of y'all, where I had to think about your temperaments, is your gentle kindness. Both of y'all have a gentle, kind way about you. Marcy, I think also, too, about your ability to teach in catechism class and how every time I leave there when I've been helping, I tell John, she is an amazing teacher. Your ability to take big truths and condense them down in a sense and so that kids get it. I leave there feeling very instructed. So you do a great job with that. And Mary Beth, I've known for a long time, ever since she met her husband, and she is dear to us. Her little kiddos are so great. The other night, John got to hold Gunner in church, and he just was delighted to be holding a little boy again, since all mine are great. I up, was delighted so. that he was holding him. <laughs> yeah, you had plenty of people to hold on to, so it was sweet. Well, y'all, why don't you go ahead and give a little bit more of an introduction to yourselves, and then we're going to answer our first things first question for the day which is what is the first soup recipe you would give to a friend who asked? And Marcy, you start us off. Okay. I am married to Lester for 34 years, and um, I have seven kids, the oldest of whom turns 29 today, so shout out to Stephen. And I do feel like, how is that even possible Mm -hmm. that I have a child that old? Um, So, And we live in Aiken. But love coming to First Press. We've been here about 26 years oh, now. Wow. 26 years, actually, almost exactly. Oh, wow. Um, and have loved being a part of this fellowship so much. Um, I would actually give the spinach tortellini soup recipe uh-huh. that I first had with my good friend Susie Lovecamp. She served it to us when we... Um, years ago when we were talking about ministry ideas. And um, so I always think of her every time we eat it, which is often one of the best things about it, because my kids were younger when we first discovered it, was that they w- they loved it, even mm. though it has spinach yes. in it. So it was um, that was a big bonus. Um, but then every time we have it, I always think of Susie. And that's, that's fun sweet. when you have those connections. Yeah, so. yeah that, that's a good recipe. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm Mary Beth Smith. Um, I am married to Ryan. We a month from today will be our tenth anniversary. Oh yay! Um, and then we've got three kids. Um, Dixie is seven. Gunner will be six next week, and Ivy is four. Nobody on the face of the earth who knows me would ask for any kind of <laughs> recipe. Um, I don't like to cook. I am bad at cooking. <laughs> I can tell you in great detail about the pre-made soups from Costco. There's a really good one right now that's veggies and wild rice, but um, I have nothing to share with you. <laughs> I love that, Mary Beth. I love the honesty. Pick up at Costco. I wish I did. Good for I love soup, but I can't make it. Well, well thank goodness Costco can. Right? <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take some Costco soup. That's good stuff. Um, I've been at a fall soup kind of mood lately and so I've been making my mushroom soup and so that's been a really that's a really fall um, it's really easy uh, too so it's got like three different types of mushroom and and um, sourdough Mm. bread Mm. and you finish it with some sour cream and fresh chives Mm. so it's but that's a nice 
hearty, you know, fall soup. You sent a picture of that, and uh, I did, yeah. didn't I? Yeah. And somehow I missed it the first time it came around. I was looking back at that text thread. I'm like, oh, that looks really good. Yeah, it's pretty yum. Yeah. And even my child who doesn't like soup likes that. Likes that. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Marcy. I had I had when I was thinking about that. I had the um, spinach tortellini, tomato spinach tomato tortellini. Oh, I'm curious oh, if we have the same recipe. Probably. Well, okay. uh, yeah. I say I got it from Susie, but mm-hmm. but we have lost it many times since then. Even though she graciously sent it to us, but mm-hmm. it's readily available on the internet with not very many variations. Yeah. So it's probably the it's same. It's probably thing. the same thing. Just basic chicken cream broth. Cheese oh and... no, not the same thing. Oh, Go ahead. Wow. Yeah. That's all right. Yours has cream cheese. Yours is hardier than mine. What I liked about mine, I, I put it down because it's super simple. Yes. So it's diced tomatoes and chicken broth and spinach and tortellini. And it's the garlic, mm-hmm. that kind of minced garlic that you saute first that makes it tasty. So I love that. And just pouring a bag of tortellini is easy. But if I was going to give a more complicated one, one we really like in the wintertime is Brunswick stew. Oh, and yeah. that's, that's a fun kind of all day process. Right. I've, I've gotten so I don't cook the chickens anymore i cheat and i get there already the rotisserie chickens from costco and, yeah from costco <laughs> that's right girl you can really cheat and get the already pulled chicken meat from yes. costco oh. off the rotisserie chickens if you want to do that so anyway well all the secrets are coming out all today. the secrets i didn't know about that actually <laughs> yeah you didn't know about that no. that really is a great thing pulled rotisserie that's chicken wonderful. meat this is very nice from costco well, I know we give recipes of soup to people or suggestions from Costco to people because we <laughs> want them to enjoy a good thing that we enjoy. And as we're coming to our passage for today, we're going to see that God is giving his people the land that he's promised to them, the nation of Israel, the promised land, something that he knows will be abundantly good if they follow his instructions for inhabiting it and subduing what they have been given. So chapters, we are in chapters 13, 8 through 1951, which is quite a chunk of reading. It's quite a chunk to consider what that inheritance distribution looks like. Well worth the read. If you haven't read it, I would recommend you doing that. But if you're going to stop and read right now, I suggest that you read Joshua 14, 6 through 15, because that's the account we're going to talk from most today, and it's the account of Caleb's inheritance. So if you want to hit the pause button, Joshua 14, 6 through 15, and read that and come back with us. Uh, We know it's just so beneficial when you hear the word for yourself and then enter into the discussion. So in Joshua 14, when we see Caleb, he is coming to Joshua, and he's coming to ask about his inheritance. And he's reminding Joshua of God's promise Mm -hmm. to him. What was it? 45 years ago. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So Caleb was one of the spies originally sent out by Moses. Israel had been delivered from Egypt. They had gone into the desert. The Lord had promised them the land in Canaan. And then they were very close to it, and Moses sent out spies to check it out. Caleb was one of those spies. They go into the land, and they see the power and the might and the establishment of the people that are in this land. And most of the spies minus Joshua and Caleb come back and say, there's no way Mm -hmm. they're too big. We can't do that. But Joshua and Caleb come back and say, yeah, the Lord has promised us this land and you're right. They are too big. (laughs) They are all (laughs) of these things, but God is not too small for that. And we should enter into what God has given us. But the people side with the um, spies who do not want to enter the land. And then that whole generation Therefore, because by faith they won't enter into what God's promised them, they wander around in the desert until they die. 
except for Caleb. So for and Joshua. For so for forty five years. Caleb comes to Joshua what? and he says, you know what the Lord promised me mm. the day that I came back and said, yes, let's go into this land. Even though my brothers weren't with me, even though we couldn't do it, the Lord promised me that one day your feet will walk on this land. It will be your inheritance. And so basically Caleb's coming. He says, now's the time. The promise is going to be fulfilled for 45 years. The Lord has kept me alive. He and Joshua were the only two of that entire generation that the mm. Lord kept alive during that time. And you just think all the battles that he saw, all the wandering, all of the trials, all the struggle, yeah. all of the waiting for those promises to take place. And yet he held firm from beginning to end, believing that the Lord would keep his word. Vanessa, what did you think about Caleb from this particular passage? I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite passages in the book of Joshua. Mm. Um, just seeing an experienced older Caleb now standing and looking 45 years back and still hanging on to the same promise just does something for my heart. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that this statement that keeps recurring, I wholly follow the Lord, my God. And then it, he says that. And then it's said of him, because you have wholly followed mm-hmm. the Lord, your God. And I think, what does it look like? How does it look for in 45 years for someone to say, God, if the Lord spares me that long, mm-hmm. for, for someone to be able to say, for me to be able to say, I wholly follow the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then for to have other people to affirm that you've wholly followed the Lord. And I'm, I'm just reminding, just really reminded that that is really covenantal in nature. We hear the psalmist do that too. He'll assert his righteousness before the Lord. And that yeah. makes us a little yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can just say it that boldly. <laughs> right. 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 But he's not saying I'm, I've been perfect. He's saying I've been faithful. Yeah. And so it's like, Lord, help me to be able to say I've wholly followed you mm-hmm. and to be able to say it with that kind of confidence, um, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I, I love that. I love that from the very beginning, he held on to this promise that he's still standing on this promise. And then what just blows me away is that he stands on this promise 45 years later. And now he's saying, I've, I've done these things. I've I've gone in and out of battle i'm still just as strong that that that's crazy yeah, first of all yeah. first of all that's crazy <laughs> but then he says now give me this hill country don't give me what's easy oh, yeah. i've got the kind of faith that you know you can trust me with what's hard i love that so much that is just so powerful that's everything it's just so powerful um give me what's hard after 45 years i know that you're going to be with me i know that even in the hard thing at as at 85 i can go and take what was what people were afraid of the Anakim. Yeah, that's what I was. Uh, yeah, I was looking for that as you're saying that because it was. It's, yeah, those it's, are the people that those they are saw. the people mm-hmm. that terrified the, yep. the others. Yeah, and he's saying, "Give me the land where those people are." <laughs> that is just crazy. Yeah, that is that is. Oh, I love that so yep. much. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll I'll stop because that's just that's just so good. <laughs> that's just so good. That. I do love that. But Caleb held on to this promise that the Lord was going to give Israel the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. What then is one of the of God's promises from his word that is especially dear to you ladies? When I think about that question and what, um, what one promise of God is dear to me, I, it's so hard because there's so many promises um, and they all seem to relate to each other. They interconnect. Um, you know, God is near and because God is near, um, I know that he is going to provide for me and I know he's going to provide for me because I'm his and they all just run together. Um, 
But the one that I go back to um, and that has been close to me for quite a while is that I am his, um, that he is my God, that I am his. And uh, what comes to mind is the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. And I don't have it all memorized, but the question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And it starts out by saying, that I am not my own, but that I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And at least for the past probably 15 years, that has often, the Lord has just brought that to my mind um, many times, um, that regardless of what circumstance I'm in, kind of the steady uh, comfort that I have is that I am the Lord's um, on a good day on a bad day in the middle of COVID in the middle of everything um, that the kind of, we're all walking through right now in the world that I belong to the Lord. Um, and I always will. That is so good because even in, in Joshua, that's the promise that they're standing on um, this covenant language of, and you shall be my people right. and I will be your God. And so to have the confidence that we're his, that's, that's that same confidence. Mm. I love it. And that's actually one of the promises that I have written mm-hmm. down, too, that he will be my God and I will be his peep. His <laughs> peep. Say these days. Like that, yeah. um, well, but I do sort of feel like I have a little bit of a cheat answer uh, because this encompasses all the rest. Um, a couple of days ago, I was reading in Proverbs 30, and the first part of verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. Mm. And... When you just think about the enormity of that promise, Mm -hmm. everything he tells us is true, Mm -hmm. will be true, has been true in the past, will never fail. And so when we have that promise that we can go back to over and over again, he says this and it will be true. It is true. I know it's in this day and age, of course, there's so much confusion about truth and you know your truth my truth and to know we can have the rock solid confidence that everything God says is true so every promise he gives I'll never leave you or forsake you all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ um, will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye he's able to make all grace abound you just go on you could just make a super long Mm. list and every one of them is true Mm. that's just um Amazing, an amazing truth and a promise that we can hang on to. And then, because of this study, I didn't even, I was looking ahead, uh, actually yep, reading yep, the yep. preface from uh, to the Dale Ralph, Ralph Davis book, and he talks about Joshua 21, 45. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had, had failed. All came to pass. Mm-hmm. What? There it is again. It's so amazing. Mm. Everything else around us. We are incapable of having that kind of constancy Mm. because we're not God, but he remains faithful and true always, always, always. Mm. That is so good. That's one of the key passages here because it encapsulates so much that's going on in the book of Joshua. It's Mm. they're inheriting a promise and it's Mm. all the promises of God that they are pursuing in this whole text. And so that none of them fell to the ground. None of them, Mm. you know, failed is is just absolutely incredible mm. and encouraging oh yeah very encouraging because how prone i am to look around and want to put my confidence in something else yes. and to think on something else or 
and to not maybe even know what promises has God made to me. Have I forgotten them? Do I not know them? What am I looking at? And so to hear you say that in that way, just, it just reminds me, I want to know. I want to know what those promises are and really tie myself to them and, and, and believe those. What I've, one that came up to me recently was really just reading through John chapter one. And it was a simple little statement John the Baptist has just pointed out to his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, who Jesus is. And he's highlighting him, saying, this is God's chosen one. You should go check him out, essentially. See mm-hmm. who, see what he's all about. And so they start to follow him. I think I always think this is the craziest thing. And he turns around and he says, what are you seeking? And they say, uh, so where are you staying tonight? Which I always think is such a weird question. Like, really? That's what you want to know? But he says that simple come and see. And all of that chapter, it just stood out to me how many times they're talking about come and see that Jesus is revealing himself. If you come to me, you'll see me and I see you. Because in that passage, too, I believe it was, uh, was it Philip that was under the tree? Or was it Nathaniel? Nathaniel. It was Nathaniel. Okay, thank you. Nathaniel that was under the tree. And, And Jesus saw him before he saw him physically with his eyes. And Nathaniel was so amazed by that. And Jesus says, you know, you, you come and see me and you're going to see greater things than these. And I just love that. I thought in that simple passage, the Lord used that to remind me, to promise me that he is about self-revelation. Mm-hmm. That if I come to him, he will show who he is. And he knows me. Um, he sees me and he allows me to see him. And so there's the times when the promise y- you experience the fulfillment of it or a piece of the fulfillment of it. And there's times when you're waiting Mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, of course, Israel waited in a lot of ways for that promise to be fulfilled. And there are times when it's tempting to look away from that. When I think, well, maybe the Lord has hidden himself from me, or maybe the Lord doesn't really know me. And to go back and to remember those times, first of all, to remember what he said, and then to remember what he's always already shown about himself to be faithful to those promises. Caleb had a history of experiencing the Lord to be true to what he said that he was going to do that empowered him to have that faith to believe that big promise, the land of Canaan. So as y'all think about those promises in your life, how have you seen the Lord either fulfill or partially fulfill that promise that's sweet to you? And then how does that encourage you in future times to hold fast when it's, and when it's tempting to maybe think that the Lord has somehow reneged? Hmm. Well, I've already alluded to how old I am by saying I have a 29-year-old. I'm about to turn 58 myself. And there was a transition time somewhere along in the late 40s when I was kind of, I felt like, gosh, it's embarrassing to say how old I am. I don't feel that way at all anymore. Mm. (laughs) All those years. What's so wonderful is the longer you live, the more opportunities you have to see how Mm. God has Mm -hmm. um, done exactly what he said he was going to do. So... Um, and I just, I I feel like I've seen it over and over again. So, um, one particular way that, uh, God kept his promises to us, to me personally, and to us as a family, and that then bore fruit in later years was, uh, we, as hard as it is for some people to believe, we actually thought for a while we would never have any kids. Mm. Um, I had miscarriage after miscarriage and, um, they couldn't really figure out why. And, um, then I did eventually have Stephen and Heather and, but 
but Lester and I both came from families of four kids and we just always thought, oh, we'll have four kids. You know how you do. Mm -hmm. This is what we're going to do. And, um, and then it just seemed like that was not going to happen. And, um, there, I can remember very distinctly sixth miscarriage and it was the third in a row. And I remember, um, just feeling like I cannot, I can't go through this again, Lord. I can't do this. And of course, the easy answer, the the ultimate answer later was, of course, you can. That's why I will never leave you or forsake you. Um, But God used that in so many different ways. And one was to help me realize I had made a spiritual idol. I had made an idol out of family. You know, um, Lester and I were married in the 80s. And there was a lot of, um, I feel like a lot of good emphasis on the family. But also sometimes it became the issue instead of knowing Jesus. (laughs) It was all about family, family, family. And I had made that, um, you know, again, I had in my mind the way it needed, our family needed to look. But then when he um, fixed whatever was, whatever was wrong, and we went on to have five more kids after age 35. Mm. I think the Lord knew that I needed, because that was not, wow, that was yeah. not in the picture anywhere in mm-hmm. my mind. And, and certainly not having, finding myself pregnant at the age of 45, mm. that my heart had already been prepared for it, even though it was still hard. My heart had been prepared with all the sorrow of not having the gift of children. Then when they kept coming <laughs> for those years when most people my age were done, it made it, it was so easy to see this is such a blessing from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And especially that last time after we had had a child with special needs, which, you know, sadly, you your mind just does... Because women all know, they've been told the statistics that if you have a child after 40, your chance of having a child with Down syndrome just increases. And so there's all the weird guilt that you feel like, well, that was dumb of us. Why would we do such a stupid thing? Thinking that's what other people were thinking Mm -hmm. when they weren't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, maybe there were some, but that's not what my church family was thinking, certainly. Mm -hmm. But um, all of that then, uh, what happened earlier, we just were able, with the with the gift of hindsight to be able to look back and say, look what God did Mm -hmm. through that sorrow, that repeated sorrow and those years of of feeling like we're not going to get to have this larger family that we wanted to. And then look how he blessed us and gave us as many as we lost. Mm -hmm. We had, had, Mm -hmm. you know, um, anyway, just, he keeps his promises. He Mm -hmm. is faithful often in ways we can't begin to, picture in the midst of it all Mm. but as years go by and you get to see sometimes and sometimes not sometimes it's heaven before we'll Mm -hmm. really see what he's doing but what's two things stick out to me about what you're saying is how wonderful it is to have friends who are further along Mm -hmm. to affirm to us the Lord will keep his promises to you I've seen it this is how I've seen it that's been such an encouragement to me personally and then how you could see the goodness of God, the promised goodness of God in two very different, in sorrow and in abundant blessing. Mm-hmm. And that he confirmed the same thing about himself, but in two very different ways. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really, it's precious. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, 
I talked about earlier just the promise that I am not my own, that my life is the Lord's. And um, there was a time when I was in physical therapy school where he just brought that, um, really impressed it upon me, how, how true it was that my life was not up to me, that he was going to um, guide me where he wanted me to go. Um, I was, I think, in my second year, and the way the, the program, the physical therapy program worked at the time was that um, every test or practical exam, um, which was basically a simulation of a, a real-life patient experience, but every time you took a test or a practical exam, you had to make an 80 or higher if um, less than an 80 was failing. And if you failed anything at any time in the program, you would have one chance to redo it in some way. And if you didn't make an 80, you were out of the program. Um, so it was really stressful. That's tough. That's tough. Um, yeah, you, you did have a chance to wait a year and then try again, but that wasn't part of my plan. Mm-hmm. Um so somewhere along the line in my second year, I failed a practical exam for a reason that really was not in my control. So it was frustrating. And all of a sudden, this kind of traje- trajectory that I had for my life felt very um, uncertain. I didn't know you know, what was going to happen. I had to retake this practical and it was scary and I didn't know what I would do. I did not have a backup plan mm-hmm. Um just a funny side note, I did start scrambling to come up with a backup plan, and it ended up being that I was going to become an Olympic bobsledder. That was uh, how desperate oh, yeah. that I was. Were you watching Cool Runnings? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think I, I love the Olympics, and I'm short, and I knew that I think it was bobsledding. One of those two big things, you have to be short, and I was like, well, I could do that. Yeah. It ma- made sense at the time. Um but so I was going in to do my, they called it remediation, my retake of this exam. And you get about five minutes before uh, you do it. You get a piece of paper. It tells you the you know patient situation you're going to walk into. And then you have five or 10 minutes to write down whatever you want to on your paper, what, whatever you want to remember to do or to ask. And the first thing I wrote on my paper was those words that I uh, shared earlier. I wrote, I am not my own. I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I I felt like if I could go in there and remember that, mm. even if it went horribly and I knew that I wasn't going to pass the exam, that I would be okay um, because he knew what path he was going to take me on. Um, and that brought so much comfort to me. Uh, I did end up passing it, but um, just, I, I don't know how I would have gotten through that. It was, I wasn't facing an actual life or death situation, but it did feel like the death of maybe where I thought my life would go. Yeah, And um, that was hugely comforting to me and just a very tangible reminder that my life is not my own, that God is going to do with it what he will do with it. Mm. Um, and I love remembering that. Mm. That makes me tear up. Really, I'm over here wiping a couple out of the corner of my right eye. Be- just that that was the thing. In the midst of everything, you have five minutes to write everything you yeah. really need on that piece of paper. How I would be pulling from my brain everything. I, and then that's the first thing that you, if I can remember that, then I think I can walk into this with a level of confidence. And just thinking when we know the Lord's promises are our ultimate support, anchor, safe place, holding ground, it does give courage to move into things that are frightening uh, mm-hmm. and, and that have potential loss yeah. um, because we, we feel surrounded by that promise. 
Yeah, I, I think I can just say amen and amen to both of your answers because mine is also the promise of, of his presence. Um, it's what I can say for certain is that he has not forsaken me. Yeah. And and so when I when I look back through just times of even of great triumph and, and times of great disappointment and even despair, that's what I can say for certain, that I've known his presence in all of those places. Yeah. Um, in grief, I, I mean, the things I've learned about the Lord in grief and about his tenderness um, and about how it looks practically for him to extend the comfort that I would later need to extend to others. Um, I can say that he hasn't left me in those places, but I can also say that in times of triumph where I would have been left to my own, um, you know, sinful patterns of being prideful, mm-hmm. that he has allowed uh, the situations to humble me. Mm-hmm. And to, and to not allow um, the pridefulness to be what it could be, um, he's been present, um, and so, and then so when I but when I think about what gives me courage to believe his promises for the future, it's almost impossible for me to revisit my own personal accounts of his faithfulness in my own life. For me, that's just to peruse through my journal. <laughs> it, it's it's hard for me to look at that just a quick read back through my 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 journey and often um, I, I see the impossibilities I see the disappointments I see all the places of my heart's churnings and strivings and when I continue to read I just it's as though I flip the page and then I'm convinced of his presence in it all because I see where he resolved the thing that yeah. uh, was impossible and where he brought me through the um, the thing that I just couldn't that was insurmountable. And then I keep going because I'm reminded that he really is still in it with me. Uh, and so, yeah, I, so I think that I'm just encouraged by reading my own stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. I read what he's done in my own life, and it's hard for me not to be encouraged by that. Mm-hmm. So but while it's important for us to be encouraged by remembering the Lord's faithfulness and his promises as he's revealed that in our own lives, our friend Dale Ralph Davis reminds us that our faith isn't just based on our feelings. Mm-hmm. He says this, um, Caleb's faith was biblical faith acting upon the word of God. We can easily make mistakes here, he says. We try to base our faith on our feelings. If so, we will feel like unbelievers a good deal of the time. Sometimes we place our faith in faith. That is, we believe that if we have enough faith, we will be able to weather the storm, which means that somehow we must pump our faith. We forget that great faith is not so necessary as genuine faith. The object of faith, by definition, is God, not faith. It is not so much great faith in God that is required as faith in a great God. Caleb's faith is the biblical pattern. If we are Caleb's disciples, we will make the promises of God, turn them in. We will take the promises of God, turn them into prayers, and plead them back to God. I love that. Mm-hmm. So what is encouraging or instructive to you then from Dell? Ralph Davis quote. I love when he says that the object of faith by definition is God and not faith. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about prayer and um, I want to put the word prayer into where he says faith. The object of prayer is by definition, God, not the prayer. And I can get so caught up in that. Mm -hmm. I think focusing on my actual prayer, um, I grew up in a very strong PCA church and I was involved in a, campus ministry in college that had um, 
kind of deeply reformed theology and I'm thankful for those things a lot, uh, but I can get kind of bogged down in, in just the doctrine of it all. And, you know, am I praying for the right thing? Um, you know, if somebody is sick, well, I'm supposed to pray for God's will, right? Like, is it okay for me even to pray that they get well? What if that's not God's will? And, um, you know, the time that I would spend praying, I spend analyzing what I'm going to say to God, mm-hmm. um, which is so... Mm-hmm silly sounding to say but um it's debilitating right right yeah. and just that reminder that the object of my faith or my prayer is god it's not my prayer it's not my faith um, but it's the god that who i am praying to and i'm pleading those promises back to him like like dale says in that quote that's it's hugely freeing to me um as someone who tends to kind of overanalyze way too much mm-hmm. um just praying god's promises back to him i love that so much because i think as a parent I don't want my child to have to try to figure out how to ask me what they want to ask me. Right. Just come ask. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't right. don't try to check your grammar and all that other stuff. You know, uh-huh. um, just come ask. Come mm-hmm. ask, and um, that's what children do. Mm-hmm. They just come ask. Yeah, you're right, Mary Beth. I loved what you said about it is all about who God is, mm-hmm. not who we are. Um, and unlike you, I did not grow up with that theology so much. Um, I grew up in a Christian home and we uh, went to church and I'm so thankful for parents that still are growing in Christ and who look more like Jesus every passing year. My dad just turned 85, my mom 84, and um, what a joy it is to watch them continue to fall more in love with Jesus as they get closer and closer to actually being face to face with him. Um, but I, the tradition that I grew up in, we had, I won't name it, but we had these little um, Sunday school envelopes. Some of you may, be, uh-huh. may remember this with little check marks down the side. Mm-hmm. Bible reading, prayer, tithe, whatever. All mm-hmm. the little things that would make you <laughs> good Christian. Good Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would faithfully check every one of those off. Or if I couldn't, I would, I would be tempted to lie to say, well, I did read my Bible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have been a recovering Pharisee all my life. And um, I can remember even, for instance, um, reading good. These are I had good influences. And one of them taught me early on that I needed to spend time in God's word. But I took that and and had the list read the Bible through in a year. And I did that as a nine year old. And but do I remember any? I mean, Obviously, I believe God's word doesn't doesn't ever fail. We already talked about that. So I know he was doing something in my heart, but I was, I can remember we were camping and in our little um, six person trailer, we went camping a lot and, and I had the flashlight on and my mom and dad were saying, turn the flashlight off, but I had to read Leviticus. I had to finish At Leviticus nine. 19. Yeah. Amazing. Well, and it, yeah. you know, there just was a lot that was not pretty about that just Mm -hmm. because of what my heart it was it was so much about me proving to God that I really could follow him so it it has taken like I said that's just one small example it has taken a long time to let go of that I'm still letting go of it all the time and trying to remember the truth that it is not about me it is all about who God is and that pumping up of my faith is again to 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 be free to realize God even the gift of faith even yeah. the faith itself is from him and it's a gift um so i think about how 
we talked about Caleb going all that time, 45 years, and he must have done that over and over and over. He must have reminded himself, reminded himself, reminded himself, because there weren't people around who had experienced what he had. They were all dying and dead by the time it was all done. And um, and, and I'm paraphrasing, I think, but another thing uh, Ralph Dale, Ralph Davis says is look into the past, see God's goodness there and drag it into Mm. the present. I love Mm -hmm. that phrase Mm -hmm. because the image of that just helps us not feel like we have to drum up our own faith when we can say, nope, remind yourself who God is. Look what he did. Drag that into the present. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that. Mm-hmm. So helpful. It's such helpful imagery. Mm, very much. And I, I completely resonate with both things that y'all are saying. Mary Beth, I remember when Cody was really sick. My youngest, I was sick in the hospital about a year and a half ago. And I remember thinking, I can't figure out how to pray. Yeah. Um, just for those very reasons. You're saying, I'm trying to analyze how am I supposed to approach this? What am I supposed to think of God? How am I? And really, it was as if the Lord said into my mind, you just ask. And it was one of those times I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at myself. I'm not looking. I'm trying to figure you out instead of coming to you. And then, Marcy, what you're saying about that being a recovering Pharisee, that wanting to work that in and or work for whatever it is that your faith, I suppose, to put your faith have some type of um, ability to say, yeah, that's my faith. That's what I do. And to think that Dale Ralph Davis, who <laughs> we refer to so often and is so wise mm-hmm. for him to say, hey, if we're going to look at our feelings all the time, we're probably going to feel like unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Makes me think, you know what? If I look at myself, I probably should feel like an unbeliever if I'm just looking at myself because it's right. messed up. And it reminds me of what John often says to me because I will catch like a glimpse of myself in a window or a door and I'll make a face kind of like I'm looking at myself. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's, it's a vain habit. And he's like, EOA, which is eyes off Amber. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're right, you're right. Oh, oh. And then I need that consistent reminder. Just don't analyze my faith. Don't analyze, but keep my eyes on the Lord. And that is where we we find um, the surety of the promise. Mm. Amen. Amen. In so many ways, uh, you know, he talks about us not believing. We're practical atheists in a lot of ways, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to look at our lives in, in some ways, um, it doesn't show the belief that we profess. So always looking to close the gap between that. God's grace does that for us. But our faith is only as good as what we're putting our faith in. That's what Del Ralph Davis demonstrates for us. Faith is faith in our ability to overcome our own circumstances and our resources or even in the goodness of people will surely disappoint us. Genuine faith then is faith that grabs hold to the promises of God and trusts that he will bring every single one of them to pass. And with that note of encouragement, we hope you'll join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you flip through Thanksgiving cookbooks or rate the leaves in your yard. Mary Battle and Casey Larson will be joining us next week to talk about Joshua 20 through 22 and what it looks like to live in the community of God together. If you want to see the pretty faces of Marcy and Mary Beth, you can check us out on our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. We hope you'll listen in.